Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Makers Show. So today we have um, a guest that I think that uh, his his background is really unbelievable. We're gonna learn a lot about self-driving cars, a lot about building things, and I guess uh, without further ado, Austin Russell from Luminar Technologies, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Great to be here. So originally from Orange County, uh, Austin. So how was life growing up there? <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was, it was good. Uh, you know, it was great, you know, being in a, in a nice environment in SoCal, you know, growing up, um, you know, not quite the, uh, the tech scene of Silicon Valley where I am now. Uh, and, uh, well, we also have our office in, uh, in Florida too. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting, uh, you know, kind of had a non-traditional, uh, you know, upbringing, so to say, or educational background where, um, you know, it was always had just had a kind of innate desire from day one of understanding and uh, want to know how things worked, why they worked, the way they worked. Um, and really, uh, with that, it was a big kind of inspiration kind of from I think when I was like two years old and up, uh, you know, memorized the, the periodic table, um, you know, and just always uh, was interested in the whole science technology realm and of converting my uh, parents garage into a uh, really, uh, optics and electronics lab, you know, back when I was like, uh, you know, kind of 11, 12, um, you really to be able to start to execute on some of these projects and programs and other things and done a little bit of software, um, you know, up, up to that point too. Um, and yeah, just kind of, kind of going all in on that. And it was great to have, you know, parents that were supportive of it. You know, they, they don't, uh, they definitely weren't familiar with the kind of things that I was working on coming from, uh, what my dad is, uh, you know, on the commercial real estate side and, uh, you know, mom, um, you know, was did a number of things, you know, including public speaking and other things, uh, in a prior life. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a good one. So what got you into, uh, into applied physics? Because I, I believe that this is what you went after. That was the initial plan to, to do at Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, really the whole applied physics domain, I, you could say, I, I always had an interest um, in seeing things applied into the real world. I know there's, uh, uh, of course, there's a lot of great work that goes on in the world of theoretical physics and systems and other things, but uh, it's really important to me to really, whenever you think about working on something, to you know, what is the end impact that it has, um, you know, and when you think about the big picture, you know, really in society as a whole, 
an industry. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I started out working uh, really when I was early, when I was really young, working kind of on some software stuff and in the software domain, realized that all the software is really just limited by the hardware that it runs on, you know, got really into the hardware side, you know, computer systems, everything. And, uh, you know, that's limited by, you know, the electrical work and got into like electrical engineering and, uh, and other aspects of that. Uh, ultimately, though, realized that all the all the hardware is limited by the physics that it runs on, you know, <laughs> effectively right. and uh, got into the whole applied physics domain of like, uh, how do we actually make all these new systems work in the in the real world? And um, that also really led me to get into optics and photonics specifically, because really saw that as kind of a new frontier of uh, how we apply physics into the real world to solve problems uh, in new dimensions. And, you know, a, a, as an opportunity where, you know, the, the, there's generally, uh, you know, when you talk about fields like electrical engineering or mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, those kinds of things, they're relatively established. You know, they have, they have um, larger degree programs that, you know, a huge number of colleges out there, um, you know, surrounding that, you know, there's larger defined fields. I think when you get deep into the whole applied physics domain, and even especially within like optics and photonics and laser systems, um, that's where there's uh, a lot of new ground to be had. And that's where I kind of went all in on uh, early on. So then what happened? Because you got it to Stanford and, and the initial plan, you know, didn't, didn't pan out as, as expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I did have a time of, uh, instead of going to some of my uh, later years of high school, I ended up going to a place called the Beckman Laser Institute for just a bit. Um, you know, they saw a lot of the great work that I was doing. So that was a, that was a helpful springboard into kind of the Stanford uh, applied physics, uh, you know, school there. But yeah, only, only lasts about six months uh, before, <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I always kind of knew that I was, I, I, I wanted to go all in on, on a company. Um, you know, I think it was uh, Peter Thiel and crew, uh, you know, with the, the fellowship program that convinced me to go all in at ASAP, you know, given that the, the time is right. And, um, you know, actually start for the first time uh, of the various projects that are worked on form a commercial venture around it and uh, thought, you know, really that uh, with an opportunity that, uh, that I was seeing to create a new type of sensing system for autonomous vehicles, um, you know, they've been using the same types of, of core hardware for even a decade prior to that, you know, back when I was first starting out on this, much less, um, you know, even today, it really hasn't advanced much. And that's where it's just an opportunity. Uh, how do you take a holistic view of this? really think of it differently and build a, a, a purpose-built solution from the ground up. That's what really excited me, even though I knew it was going to be a, a multi-year journey ahead. And was this uh, the Thiel Fellowship? I mean, was this something that you came How did you come across them? I mean, it, was it like they went to your school and they gave a speech or it was like researching on the internet on the, or they came to you or how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they pretty much found me, uh, you know, after some of the, some of the work they've done, I guess kind of, uh, a lot of it really just was word of mouth, you know, within within the communities and circles. I think uh, I think fortunately they made a big splash, you know, with the program, and uh, which was you could say uh, I think it was slightly controversial when it was first coming out, um, you know, just because it's like you know the, what the whole narrative of you know uh, pay someone a hundred k to go drop out of school. Uh, the reality is is that uh, for the folks that this is uh, this is with. Um, Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was slightly controversial. What, what was it? I think it was uh, at the time um, the president of Harvard had said it was it was, uh, you know, they, and they had this quote on the front page of the Teal Fellowship website. 
is like the, the, the single most misguided bit of philanthropy in all of history. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> uh, right. Um, so, you know, it, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting. That said though, I think what people kind of did realize is that there's a certain kind of group and breed of entrepreneurs that, um, really already were working on their own projects. They want to get out in the real world. They want to build something where either the timing is right, you know, to be able to build something product, uh, and, or, you know, it's, um, I think, uh, academia works for, you know, the vast majority of the population out there and, uh, you know, wanting to take that path. I think at the same time though, uh, you know, there's, there's some that have an entrepreneurial bug that just want to, want to build, you want to get hands on. And, uh, of course the best way to do that and scale something, get out in the real world. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you have to, you have to be able to finance things accordingly, build a company yeah. around it and, uh, make it happen. So it was really inspirational to me and getting the rel. I mean, the thing, the thing about it, even though the tagline is like, you know, get a hundred K or whatever. Uh, that's not really the interesting thing about that program. It's it's the network and just the the relevant knowledge information you have. This is the kind of stuff that you can't learn in business school. Like you know, you when you're talking to all of these other founders and people that have built hugely successful companies and like the right you know mentors they bring in and you know the whole network there. That's the kind of thing that's really valuable as a young entrepreneur of understanding how this stuff really works. Um, you know, and you, something that you certainly wouldn't get in any environment or school. Yeah. So then you got the 100 K you dropped out of school. Obviously you had a very interesting discussion with your parents. So what happens next? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, just sort of went, uh, all in on the business, you know, I think, um, uh, I, I, I had, uh, at this time I was effectively, I mean, a hundred K is cool, but that unfortunately doesn't take that doesn't really fund uh, a scaling business off the bat. So I was able to really self-fund uh, a lot of the initial stages from some of the earlier projects that I was working on and, um, you know, and other, other capital that I'd made and invested and whatnot. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so like uh, really just uh, ended up bringing on kind of first handful of folks and groups in, in the company um, at the time we actually saw an office in Southern California that I had some, uh, contacts, other things there. Um, you know, actually my uncle came on board as, you know, he was an electrical engineer that, uh, that I knew well, that was a really amazing one. We had a group actually. And, uh, you know, someone I ended up ultimately bringing on as a co-founder, uh, uh, Jason, uh, Eichenholz and, uh, and team in, um, uh, in Orlando, uh, that, uh, really there was a realize that there was a huge crowd of, uh, and dense population of some of these lidar specific engineers, and this lidar is the the system and that uh, that we build for autonomous vehicles. And um, you know, kind of kind of random, but you know, it, it turns out uh, basically a highest concentration of these types of lidar engineers out of anywhere in, the, anywhere in the world because of the huge defense presence that's historically been there. And a lot of the original lidar programs were with these defense programs. We talk like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, L3 Systems, Raytheon. Uh, and, uh, of course, you have NASA and Cape Canaveral all right there. So ended up, uh, yeah, basically kind of building out a dual office out there along with um, uh, the one out here in Silicon Valley, um, building up those teams. Uh, you know, I mean, really the key thing, though, is that this is not something like it, with a software company, you know, as you're building it out, uh, you know, you can start to really see results more and more over time. So, yeah. so here, let me let me ask you this. So, how old were you when you started the business? Um, so I I was around like um, you're probably sixteen, really really seventeen, I think, when the formal entity was founded. Um, 
And yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was kind of right around the time where I was dropping out of Stanford, uh, going full time on the, on the business, um, had worked on some of the more foundational work a little bit earlier on, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's been about, you know, a solid, uh, you know, seven, uh, maybe even approaching eight years, you know, on, on, uh, the company that have been, uh, been building up the first five years of it though, were really us operating in stealth mode, building out the core technology that that's the foundation for what we have today. And that was uh, that was something that was just really interesting and kind of different for us. Uh, this is something that you know knew it was going to be a multi-year journey going into this because the the solution that we had was to build out all the different components that go into this sensing system from scratch to enable a completely different level of performance and capability and sensing capability to allow these autonomous cars to go and see everything in the world and environment around them. So. With that, uh, that was something that, uh, you know, really what, you know, we've transitioned originally from crazy ideas in my head to technology on a bench top, you know, to now, you know, of course, productized version of the systems and now working with a number of major automakers and OEMs on the real world. But it was, uh, took about, you know, uh, five, six years, a uh, hundred million dollars into the product development, you know, plus, and, uh, you know, hundreds of specialized engineers to be able to really, uh, make that product happen in the first place and allow us to have this commercial success. So talk to us about the business model, Austin. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> I mean, really, uh, so the, it, it, what it comes down to is the, the core of the, the business model is really centered around the value proposition in the first place, you know, which is part of what we're able to do is with this LIDAR and sensing system, uh, allow autonomous cars now go from seeing some things some of the time to all things all of the time and allow them to really get a clear understanding of what's going on. Um, and that's uh, the way that we do that is by allowing you to see really far distances, you know, up to 250 meters into the distance for even, um, you know, normally very hard to see low reflectivity or dark objects, as we would say. And um, at the same time, have enough resolution to be able to clearly make out what's going on. Um, so this is something that has been a huge challenge in the industry where, uh, they're really good at seeing things 99% of the time, you know, what it comes down to is that, you know, really, uh, end up missing that last 1% of all the different edge cases, you know, and as I'm sure you can imagine, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, seeing 99% uh, of people or like missing one in a hundred is not an acceptable failure rate in this kind of industry. So, uh, you know, that's why, um, you really have to go out and, and really see the edge cases, like the object that's uh, way up in the road, the kid that runs out in the street chasing after a ball, you know, uh, if there's a stalled car up ahead or what, whatever it may be, things that are thrown at you, you have to be dynamic. And that's something that, you know, really, I mean, the whole, our whole claim to fame or, or what we pride ourselves on is really the only company to, to solve that problem, get the required performance specifications. So that's the core of what powers the business model that allows us to really sell to kind of three key verticals. There's the, the consumer vehicle side of it for automakers. There's uh, robo-taxis, which is kind of the whole ride-sharing world and what we've seen in the emergence of the Ubers and Lyfts and DBs of this world. And then, um, you know, uh, lastly, the whole trucking side of things um, and enable autonomous trucking uh, players. So we're really that uh, kind of key system that powers uh the, the vehicle platforms and um, in some cases also the software um, in addition to the hardware that allows them to really enable true autonomy for 
uh, and handle a lot of these different edge cases they might not normally be able to. So that's um, those are kind of the the markets that we're going after and uh, what we've been uh, focused on now. Where whereas we're kind of past the initial technology phase, we have the technology, it works, it's there. We have that product. That's what we spent so long trying to achieve. Now uh, it's all in on the commercial side, and that's where we've ramped up, kind of from. Uh, starting with, I mean, I think at the beginning of last year, we had four kind of key launch partners. Um, you know, with this as automakers, we now actually have uh, 40 different companies that we're working with or partnered with on this, uh, including 12 of the top 15 automakers on their development programs. So it's been an exciting very, ramp. Very cool. Very cool. And obviously for for getting to where you are now, you know, obviously it requires funding. So how much capital have you guys raised? So we've raised uh, uh, over uh, 250 million at this stage. You know, it's it's definitely takes a non-trivial amount of capital to be able to see this all the way through. Um, you know, and I think uh, it's 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 kind of interesting. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, we we should uh, in the scheme of things see, see this as extremely efficient. Um, you know, in terms of how we're deploying these, how we, how we work through as what we're doing with this is if hoping to be the first company to really be powering what you would call true autonomy in series production. That's kind of the whole goal for the next phase of the business. And, uh, you know, that's also what takes a lot of capital when we're talking not just a development product, development program. You know, this is getting out into real production vehicles. And, um, you know, so, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's capital intensive uh, for sure along the way. And, and obviously, I mean, raising all that money, I mean, 250 million at, at 24, I mean, and, and earlier years, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. So what have you learned about fundraising, Austin? <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting arc on this side, you know, because it's kind of funny. Back in the initial days of when I was first doing this, um, there's definitely that element of, you know, thinking that I'm totally crazy and like, you know, what, like, what are you doing? What's going on as uh, it was very difficult to try to attract capital in the, in the in very early periods, as you can imagine, as like a, you know, 17 year old uh, going around saying, you know, oh, we'll have a bunch of, you know, cool ideas for how to, you know, change the, well, a, a then even non-existent autonomous, you know, vehicle industry, you know, it's been the very nascent days of, you know, the emergence of autonomy and, um, you know, uh, so uh, execute on a plan um for a brand new technology that's going to require you know hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, you know hundreds of uh you know engineers along the way to be able to see it through um so <laughs> right. you know it's uh yeah as, as you can imagine it's uh, <laughs> it was uh it was an uphill battle not it was an, it's out it's been an uphill battle it, well it was you know i i think it really turned a lot after people saw i i we were able to get away on kind of a shoestring budget you know, a, a really shoestring budget, you know, early on, um, you know, I, I, I talk about at some point, some of the crazy ways that it was actually financing the company early on, um, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, it was, the way that it was scaling it up is that really, you know, by bootstrapping it initially, you know, and kind of providing the first, uh, you know, uh, when, when you get those first seed checks in, you know, uh, I'm in this case um, from some other projects that I had going on, uh, it really helps a huge amount because, uh, you know, you can really just kind of focus all in on the business, not have to worry about some of the initial capital raising. And also that's where a lot of venture capitalists, other stuff, take the most of a, any given company or the most sizable chunks, um, you know, and how we're able to actually make things efficient and uh, preserving from an equity perspective, too. Uh, but um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, as long as you, you have to prove the milestones after we built out the initial technology and kind of showed, 
hey, this actually works. I think it, it, it was really mind-blowing to a lot of people. And getting the right supporters in the industry along the way of the, had the vision to see what it was really doing, I'll, uh, you know, um, I mean, just as, you know, Peter Thiel kind of, uh, you know, I, I kind of saw that um, vision with his crew, you know, early on for the fellows, you know, get the right people along the way. You know, we've had, um, you know, everything from like laser physicists that invested early on and other angel supporters along the way to ultimately scaling up and bringing on other corporate investors and strategics and uh, hedge funds, other, of course, Silicon Valley venture capital firms. Um, but I think it became very clear, uh, you know, a year or two in that, you know, this wasn't some, uh, you know, just a, you know, interesting technology for technology's sake or a flash in the pan, but this was going to be a, a long journey ahead that uh, really, hopefully, if we executed on uh, on it and made it happen, would uh, would be game-changing for uh, the transportation industry at large. So that's kind of what excited investors get on board, ultimately. Got it, got it. And I mean, at 24, I mean, the, the journey that you've had already, you know, from a professional perspective is the journey that that many, many are not going to have in a lifetime. So, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's remarkable. So I guess the, um, you know, the journey of an entrepreneur as well is, is not easy. So I, I wanted to ask you here, like, what has been for you the hardest, uh, you know, moment, you know, in, in building this business and perhaps what, what did you learn from it? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I, I mean, as a, <laughs> As a founder, you know, with, with with any type of you know high growth type operation, um, it it really is an insane amount of work that goes into all of this. And you want to say, what's the hardest part? It's you know, well, I guess everything uh, to some extent. Every <laughs> you know, right? right? You're you're like constantly like you're you're basically juggling like a thousand balls at a time, you know, and yeah. can't, can't so there's only so many you can drop, uh, you know, to really be able to. Uh, well, without, um, you know, ensuring that it has a, a negative impact on the, on the business. Um, so, you know, in terms of what you ultimately want to achieve the long-term vision and, and revolutionizing the industry. So, um, you know, I, I, I'd say, uh, the, the level of interest and kind of dedication that I've had to have on this has been, uh, you know, obviously, as for kind of many other um, entrepreneurs, maybe even some of the other folks you've talked to, it's it's extremely intensive and uh, relentless at times. Like there, you know, there, there is no forgiveness in, in when you're responsible for everything about your own business. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you have also a lot of people that are dependent on you to ultimately uh, ultimately be able to deliver, depending on the company, depending on everything. And. Uh, not to mention, you know, people in the company, people, the partners that you're working with outside, the investors from the capital that you brought on. It's a, it's a lot of responsibility. And I, I think um, you kind of just have to have this singular vision and goal of just uh, in your mind of what you're driving towards constantly, like every minute of every hour of every day. And, uh, you know, if you don't have that, I mean, it makes it that much harder to be able to actually meet the end goals in the first place. So uh, I'd say it does definitely take a huge mental toll on things. Um, you know, that's just uh, when you're cranking away 24 seven, you know, working 16 hour days as, as it may be, um, you know, I, I, and especially, you know, in the, in the earlier days of, of things um, I think as much as possible, you want to try to be able to build out the team, build out stability, build out process, uh, you know, at some stage, uh, after you get past kind of the initial fuzziness of as a startup uh, and drive 
clarity into, um, you know, a lot of the business engagements and models and how you really see yourself maturing as a company over the long run, you know, with an ultimate eye towards, you know, IPO, for example, uh, you know, that's, um, that's where I think it, it calms down a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's, there's no question about it. It's stressful. I think, um, at, at the same time, there, there's those that, uh, they get really challenged or troubled by that kind of stress. And then there's those that thrive in that environment. And that that's really where, I mean, when we look at like hiring criteria and other things for, for people and culture fit, I mean, of course, that's 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 what we look to be able to, to have as, as a part of the team, too, of really just uh, driving things forward, knowing that, um, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you have to deliver to really, you know, uh, put food on everyone's plate at the end of the day and, you know, and make a huge impact, you know, for the larger industry. And this is, this is not a, it's not a nine to five thing by any means either, but I think we have a lot of really dedicated folks and things. And it's at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's obviously a lot more than um, just me or even just the, the relevant people that advisors and other folks that are brought on. It's uh, it really is a huge team effort that you have to structure in the right way uh, to make it happen and all move forward together on. So. Because how many how many employees do you guys have now, Austin? Uh, so we have a little over uh, 350, you know, at this point. And, uh, you know, it's about uh, the split is we have about um, almost about 100 out here in Palo Alto. Uh, we have about, you know, plus or minus uh, maybe uh, 230, 240 uh, in Orlando. And in Colorado, we have about, you know, uh, 25, you know, 30 or so. Uh, yeah, that was actually uh, the so just quick division of responsibilities out here. It's basically where we have a lot of the core operations of the company, in addition to our software. Um, in Orlando, is the core of the hardware engineering and our advanced manufacturing production. Uh, and then in Colorado, it was a chip design company that we acquired a few years ago. Got it. And I guess uh, obviously, I mean, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people listening are are wondering, like, what's your take on on where the self driving space is is heading as a whole. Yeah, so it's it's a great question. I think there's a, this is one of those spaces where there's a lot of noise, a lot of other stuff going on. We like to remain really grounded in you know what what's the reality of the situation and leverage that to our advantage. I think there was a lot of um, you could say overly ambitious timelines uh, for high levels of autonomy that you know uh, I think many were facing overall uh, or trying to be able to achieve uh, in recent years. I think there's been a more a greater sense of realism. Um, that's been able to to come about where people realize like, hey, wait a minute, this problem is actually really, really, really hard to be able to solve because, and it kind of goes back to that that last one percent that we we're talking about. There's a really long tail associated with all of these different edge cases and all the crazy things that can happen when driving a vehicle. You know, it, it, you know, things can work great most of the time, but it's those edge cases that trip everything up, and that's why they all these autonomous cars still have backup drivers behind them, ready to take over the wheel at any given moment whenever the vehicle makes a mistake in their autonomous test vehicles, which actually happens shockingly often. Uh, so that's where it really comes into play. Of how do you solve that problem? How do, how do we actually advance ourselves as an industry to really deliver on this whole promise of actually saving lives, making autonomy happen in the real world? And the, the way that really what we've seen and the, kind of the approach that we've taken um, is we're, we're not trying to just advocate and go all in for, you know, really high levels of autonomy, drive anywhere, anytime, you know, and just pure robo-taxi type efforts. I think those will have their time, um, but this is it's more on the order of a decade from now than it is, you know, in a year or two. 
really what what we'll actually see in the in the coming few years is more constrained use cases and applications of autonomy. And you know, because even with uh, I mean, talk about you know the need for better sensing capabilities and better sensing systems and other stuff. This certainly helps a lot, but even then, it doesn't get you to you know full autonomy alone. You have to you have to actually collect and see all those different edge cases and examples before. Um, yeah. So really, with the best sensing systems and the most constrained applications, you have to like use all the levers here possible, and that's where we can actually see this becoming feasible in a near term time frame. And uh, it's a little bit of a more conservative approach, you could almost call it, than um, than some other types of companies out there. But this is the way that we're actually getting into not just, you know, trucks or, you know, like ride sharing vehicle uh, pro, uh, autonomous development programs, but also consumer vehicles. And uh, there was many did predict, you know, that oh, like consumer vehicles would be the last to adopt this. It's kind of interesting because it kind of flipped on its head where it's actually now they're becoming the first uh, in constrained applications like on freeways. For example, uh, you know, what we're enabling with an automaker, if you want to take your car, you know, let's say on your commute to work, drive, you, you drive it from your house onto the freeway, you can then enable an autonomous mode, you know, uh, take your hands off, eyes off, read a book, use your phone, work on your laptop, watch a movie, take a nap, whatever it may be. And yeah. then, you know, five minutes before the final exit, you know, have a planned manual takeover, you take over and then drive to the final destination. So starting out with that and then expanding more and more to other domains via software over time, and on top of that, enabling better and better assisted driving capabilities and technologies with our sensing systems on surface streets and urban and suburban environments. Because the reality is that you don't actually have to solve autonomy or much less full autonomy to be able to save the you know million-something lives we lose out on the road every year. You know, there's a huge opportunity for safety there, and that's that's something that we really see as core to this. Getting it out there as quickly as possible is key, and that's kind of what's driving us forward in that direction. Whereas, um, you know, we will see the other stuff uh, when we talk about autonomous trucks, too. I think that's something that's going to be coming to light and coming to fruition in the relatively near future because it also is more constrained conditions. We're mostly focused on long haul and freeway situations. Um, so, uh, but talk about consumer vehicles and other stuff. When can you actually buy a car with our technology in it and like see it deployed? That's coming actually not too far away in 2022. Um, Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So I've heard you um, talking a lot about problem and, and problem solving. So when we're thinking about problems in the execution, how do you go about, you know, really first analyzing, thinking about them, digesting them, and then, you know, diving into the, execution what does that process looks like in in austin say you know head yeah so no it's, it's, a, it's a good question i think um really the, the the whole thing around building a, like this kind of product into a new emerging industry is that you effectively kind of create the rules there are there is no framework there is no existing business model there is no anything to work off of and no precedent you know part of the which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, it's a blessing in the sense that uh, really you get to define how you want to work and operate in this industry. And, you know, we're carving that path, you know, in large part for the for this part of uh, autonomy um, that will hopefully help uh, enable it for a number of our other, other partners and help accelerate their timelines and plans and see as many, you know, uh, lives saved out in the real world as possible, as many uh, deployed vehicles as possible. Um, at the same time, uh, there's no the curse is there's no established model that you can reference that you know works for sure 
and to be able to operate off of. And, uh, you know, it, it, what ends up happening is that this is extremely cross-functional, interdisciplinary work where you kind of have to see the connections across the, the business and commercial side, the product and technology side, and, you know, other aspects of uh, how you work with the other companies within this, um, not to mention, of course, the whole financial angle to this, too, and, and unit economics. Um, but you have to see the cross-functional connections to really derive the right approaches at this, because I will say is that, you know, one one bad decision or one bad trade-off decision uh, can effectively ruin your entire all the great work that you've done and your strategy and company as a whole. Or even if you even if you did have a great product, if you take the wrong strategy and wrong approach to market and wrong approach to, um, you know, working with the right companies and, uh, you know, even uh, even just the wrong approach to how you achieve the specifications in the first place that are required um, or the wrong identification of those specifications. There's so many different dead ends and ways that you can you can move through. And um, that's effectively kind of the, the hard part of what I've had to do and we've had to do as a company is navigate that accordingly, get the signal through the noise. There, and by the way, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of talk in the industry. There's a lot of stuff where uh, – you could say, um, you know, people are just looking left and right, wondering who's doing what, you know, and want to follow that direction. Uh, you know, you kind of have to see through the noise and, you know, solve the problem for yourself, understand like what's real, what's not, what actually needs to be done. Um, and uh, that's really, by the way, I, I will say we took that approach for the product engineering kind of from day one of having that top down approach of identifying what are the actual end specifications we need to achieve. And then, you know, building up a bottoms up solution to be able to ultimately achieve that uh, in a unique way um, or had to be a unique way since there's no off the shelf way to do it. That was the whole value problem. But, um, you know, applying that same kind of mentality to other aspects of the business of, you know, top down approach of like what will actually solve this problem and then a bottoms up approach to how do we how do we directly achieve that? Um, and that's kind of been what I've been doing effectively. Uh, in kind of guiding the company's strategy. Got it. And and I guess, you know, one of the questions that I typically ask the, the guests that, that come on the show is, I mean, it's been quite a ride for you. Um, and obviously you started the company at 16, technically 17 when it was formed. Uh, but then now you're 24 and, you know, it's been quite a ride. So I guess now if I had to ask you, if you had the the opportunity to have a chat with, that younger Austin, perhaps, you know, the, the Austin that was 16 prior to, you know, launching the business, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself before launching a business and why? It's a good question. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I would love to have a, uh, a 10 hour chat, you know, with <laughs> like, you know, just like outline, like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, uh, right. you know. Don't listen to this person. Definitely listen to that person. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. But uh, it, it's uh, it's it's a good it's a good question. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, had to learn early on um, how to think about. I mean, I'm just thinking about everything from like how you take in information, how you take in advice from folks, like how you kind of form your own opinions and thoughts on things. You know how you build and run a company, how how we actually um, how we create this. You know, at, at the same time, I, I think there's something to be said 
about going through the journey and that drive of always wanting to know like how does it how how is this going to pan out like how is it if we do this this and this and this it's kind of almost exciting to like have a plan in place and you know not 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 everything's going to work out perfectly according to plan by any means but like seeing that come alive like over time <clears throat> you know learning on the fly you know as they're saying there's not yeah there's no there's no real precedent and um you know, I, I think part of the, the enjoyment of this really is the journey, you know, and uh, going along that ride. I mean, it certainly has plenty of its own ups and downs along the way, uh, but it's just really, really interesting. And, and I think uh, it's hard to succinctly say anything that it, it really just all comes down to some of the subtle dynamics of, of building a business uh, that make a world of difference. And, you know, the, 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 the saying of the devil's in the details really is highly relevant with that. Um, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I would, um, the, the thing I definitely would do is if, if, if they had a, uh, some wire transfer info, I think I would, uh, you know, kind of self-finance. The, you know, I, mean, I, I wish there was a world where you could finance things in previous history. Like sometimes I think of that of like, you know, if you had the credibility like right. as a company, like what we do now, like what, how much more quickly would have been able to achieve that? How much, where would we even be now if we had that early on and didn't have to build that? But at the same time, I'm sure that if we didn't, if it didn't have, and we didn't have as a company, part of the exercise of learning how to build that in the first place, maybe it would have been different also in, the, in that side. So, um, I mean, I think just, you know, keep at it, you know, stay strong and, uh, and just keep uh, keep building, uh, never stop building, and uh, really stick to your gut, stick to what makes sense. There's a lot of things, uh, like I said, a lot of good advice, a lot of bad advice um, that you get along the way, a lot of noise, um, you know, and um, of course, building the team. I mean, that's, that's one other thing that uh, I, I certainly would have taken a different look at how we structure a company kind of from day one, uh, you know, in knowing what you know now, a lot of the rules of traditionally building a business may not directly apply, uh, you know, to this type of uh, growth story. And, um, and even then, uh, you know, uh, there, I, I, I'm, I was far from perfect. There's a lot of gaps in knowledge and hindsight's 2020 on this stuff, but um you know, we, we've had plenty of our own, uh, you know, challenges or hiccups or whatever it may be along the way on the product development side, on, you know, the people side, on wh whatever it is uh, to really uh, ensure that everyone is working at uh, at their best, at, uh, you know, the best possible efficiency and driving things forward. Um, it's a complicated, you know, 2000 piece puzzle that you have to you have to put together and it's never going to be perfect. But. Uh, I think um, I, I, I think the ju just knowing that uh, if if I execute on the plan that um, you know there's always something in the back of your head that you almost have to drown out. That's like, is this really crazy? Like, like are we really doing this? Like, is this actually going to work? You know, because you have you have a lot of the naysayers and other stuff that also you know, and you have a lot of you know, well, logic also too. That's like you know, this is this is a lot of things that have to work out and like come together. 
Um, but at the end of the day, like if you stick to another stuff, I think it, it'll work out. And I think if that's something to communicate uh, to earlier self, um, you know, and just always keep sticking to it, um, then that would be that would be helpful. But I'll, I'll have to think more on that altogether. Love it. Love it. So, uh, and, and obviously, I mean, you have now at 24, I'm sure that this is not going to be the first rodeo. So maybe we, we may need to, to uh, do part two or part three, you know, on the, on the next company. So, so you never know. So I guess uh, Austin, for the people that are listening and perhaps the ones that really, really enjoyed and that are wondering what is the best way to reach out and say hi, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, Shoot me an email. I'd say, uh, you know, I, I'm here, you know, Austin at luminartech.com, um, you know, and love to love to chat if you have some, uh, some interesting insider thoughts or, you know, just want to uh, hear more about some of the story and uh, if I can be helpful at all. So, um, you know, thanks for hosting me on here. It's uh, great to uh, kind of outline some of the background story of where we are. Of course, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm all focused in now on kind of what's ahead and how to how to make all this happen and bring this industry to life as much as possible. So absolutely, be cool. and you're you're definitely making it happen and leading the way, Austin. So thank you Thanks so, so much, so much appreciate for, the kind for being on the on the Dealmaker Show. Really appreciate it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself. Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.